Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 17 is the text that we're going to read from. I do also want to say I know that we all wanted to be in the building today. I wanted it. I can't say that I wanted it more than you, but I feel like I do. I feel like I wanted to be in the building more than anybody else. Maybe that's not true. Maybe you wanted it as much as me. But I I promise you that as we go forward, every decision that we make is going to be with your health and your safety as our number one priority. If that means moving back out to the parking lot for a week or two, then that's what we'll do. All right? Again, this isn't what I want, but I want you to know that your health and your safety is our number one priority. All right? With that being said, again, you can go online and read everything we're going to be doing. The building will be sanitized and disinfected. Every time you walk in there, there will have been a team in there cleaning, making sure that it's uh, sanitary and that you can come in there with and feel good about being there. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the man who owned the house became, I'm sorry, the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. It's a little bit different than your translation. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Verse 17, I want us to pay attention to that first phrase. It happened after those things. There were some things that happened before that lead us to this event. Verse 18, now that her son is left with no breath in him because of this sickness, she says to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took that lifeless breathless body from the arms of a grieving mother and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. I want to preach for just a little bit today. And I know last week we had some cars die. Amen. You know you preach long when batteries die. So every once in a while you might want to start your engine and renew your battery. I want to preach for a little bit today as long as your batteries will let me on this thought, carrying the dead. Amen. Carrying the dead. If I could give it a subtitle, it would be this. A question for living hope. A question for every individual of this church body. Do you know what to do with a hopeless situation? Living hope, will we know what to do when they bring to us their hopeless situations? Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would anoint your word today. I pray, God, that as you have given me your word to speak, that I would speak nothing more and nothing less than what you have given to me. God, allow personal opinions and personal persuasions to be placed to the side that the pure, unadulterated word of God that is good for nourishment, that is good for reproof, that is good for instruction, that is good for doctrine, that that word of God would go forth today bringing strength to the body of Christ, bringing awareness to the body of Christ, bringing preparation to the body of Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Carrying the dead. I opened this sermon. I think sometimes as preachers we can begin to preach, start digging into a text, and maybe not be sensitive to situations that are represented in the parking lot or in the churches most times. I know there have been times where I preach from a text such as this and there might be a grieving mother in the, uh, in the crowd that has lost a child. And we don't mean that. I don't mean that in disrespect. I'm just simply trying to lift from the passage of Scripture a story as a metaphor, as a principle that will guide us. So first of all, I want to say that I preach this in respect and all due respect for any mother that may have in the past or even presently grieving the loss of of a child. 
don't want to be desensitive to this situation. But there is nothing like a grieving mother, a mother that is having to wrestle with the loss of a child. Because that's not the way things are supposed to be. Mothers are not supposed to bury their babies. But in the context of 1 Kings chapter 17, the prophet Elijah is confronted with the most difficult and overwhelming of all circumstances. He is confronted by a mother who is carrying her child, her lifeless child, to the prophet. She is hurting. She is helpless. She is hopeless. Her dreams are shattered. Her hopes are dashed. Her whole world has been destroyed. And the prophet turns to this mother in a grieving moment and in confidence says to her, Give me your son. And in the verses preceding this 17th verse, God has been preparing the prophet for this moment. God has been preparing the preacher for this difficult moment that he is presented with. And I would say today that I believe God is preparing his church for some difficult moments that we're about to face. God is preparing the church for some lives that are going to gather in our sanctuary in the weeks and months that are coming. And they're going to bring in some lifeless situations, some hopeless circumstances. God has been preparing the prophet, and God is preparing the church. There are three valuable lessons that Elijah, the man of God, has been provided. That the man of God has extracted from preceding occasions. As we read in our opening verse, in verse 17, the Bible said, After these things, because these things that preceded were important. They were lessons that prepared him for this difficult moment. These preceding circumstances and the valuable lessons that Elijah obtained from them have prepared him for this moment. He is able to take a dead child from a grieving mother and know exactly what to do with that lifeless body because of what he has been through. And I would say this to us today to the church of the living God and to every child of God, uh, that if you've never been through anything, you can't give anything. Uh, you got to have gone through something before you can give something. Uh, if you've never endured a storm, you'll never be able to write a song. Uh, if you've never passed through a trial, then you'll never have a testimony. And I believe that God has been equipping and preparing his church, not just in the last two months, uh, but God has been equipping and preparing his church uh, for such a time as this, because they are coming. Uh, when the doors open back up to our building next Sunday, they will be coming. Uh, they're going to be coming with fear in their eyes. Uh, they're going to be coming carrying their broken dreams. Uh, they're going to walk into our building carrying their lifeless, hopeless situations. Uh, and I believe that the church must answer this question. Uh, do you know what to do with hopeless situations? Do you know how to carry the dead? Do you know how to carry those that are broken? Do you know how to carry some shattered dreams and broken lives? And I believe that is that is the question that is being asked of the church, that the church must, that the answer that we must give to them, the answer is not found in theology. The answer is not found in our ability to sermonize or deliver with eloquent oratory. But I believe that the answer that we will give to our world is found in what we've been through, in what God brought us through. That we can learn even from what Elijah went through. Then we, like he, will be able to carry the dead. The first lesson that Elijah learned leading up to this difficult moment is God revealed to him the power of his voice. The first lesson that we must learn if we're going to be able to carry the dead, if we're going to be able to care for the hopeless and the lifeless, is we must know the power of our voice. 1 Kings chapter 17, open your Bible, flip to it in your, in your app, whatever you need to do, but I want us to read that first verse together. Verse number 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Everybody shout that next word. 
said, everybody say said, Elijah the Tishbite opened his mouth and he said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years but according to my word. Elijah opened his mouth and spoke to Ahab and he said, I just want to tell you, Ahab, that it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. It's not going to rain again until I open my mouth and I say it's going to rain again. I'm telling you today that there's got to come a confidence in the church of the living God. A confidence that we can speak and God is going to back us up. You won't be able to carry the dead if you don't have confidence in your word. You won't be able to give hope to the hopeless if you don't have confidence, if you don't realize the power of your voice. One chapter prior, in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29 through 34, the kingship of Ahab as king of Israel is announced and declared. How that Ahab married Jezebel. Jezebel was a killer of the prophets. She was a vile, wicked woman. The Bible tells us in chapter 16 that Ahab served Baal, that he built a temple unto Baal in Samaria, and he worshipped there idols that had been crafted and raised in the likeness of Baal. Verse 23 summarizes the weakness of Ahab when it says that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings that were before him. And so in the middle of this evil, wicked kingship of Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, God says, I need a righteous man. I need a man that will open his mouth and speak righteousness. Amen. And so God raises up. He exalts the righteous voice of Elijah to speak against the judge and judge the wickedness of Ahab. If I could define righteousness. If I could define what it means to be righteous based upon etymology, the study of words, and also looking at the Hebrew words that are used in the scripture to define what it means to be righteous, taking into account modern definitions of what it means to be righteous, taking all of that into consideration, that would be another 10 minutes, and I promise you your batteries would die. So I'm just going to cut to the chase and give you a simple definition of what it means to be righteous. It means walking in the path that God has called right. To be righteous means that I'm walking in the path that God has said is right. Not what the world says is right. Not what I think is right. But righteousness is walking in the path that God has spoken to be the right path. Elijah would become the most hated man in Israel for the next 36 months, all because of his 24-word sermon of righteousness. Elijah preaches not for 24 minutes, 24 words, and for the next 36 months, the next three years, he will be the most despised man in Israel. Today, we fear to preach righteousness because somebody might post something negative about us on Facebook. Today, we hesitate to preach the righteousness of God because somebody might post a negative review on Google. Instead of preaching against the sin of homosexuality, which the Bible declares to be an abomination, churches and denominations embrace this sin. What God has called an abomination they celebrate as diversity. What is that? That's a fear of being persecuted for righteousness. Can I tell you today, I'm not here to pick a fight with anybody, and I realize you might run me down on Facebook and you might degrade me on Google, but I decided I'm going to stand with the righteousness of God. Pastors today that cease to preach against the atrocity of abortion. Can I tell you, if you have not decided where you stand on this issue, let me help you. If you stand on the side of God, you stand on the side of life because God is the giver of life. 
Say, well, preacher, you're getting political now. Abortion is not a political issue. Abortion is a moral issue. But even today, there are pastors that are using the Scripture somehow to declare that abortion is a woman's right. But the Scripture is clear on the fact that harming a child will result in the wrath of God. I'm talking about Elijah with a voice of righteousness. I'm talking about the church in 2020. We must stand and we must declare the righteousness of God. It may not be popular in society and we may be run down on Facebook and we may be degraded on Google, but I have decided I will stand on the side of the righteousness of God. Now, those are the ones that we're all going to honk our horn on. Let me give you a few that you might just hit your hazard button on. Shacking up is no longer wrong as long as we both love each other. All right, I got a few honks. That smoking a little weed is okay if you're a little stressed out. But God revealed to Elijah... Elijah, if you will speak for me, then I will stand for you. I will give you authority, Elijah, if you will stand for righteousness. Elijah, I will back up what you say if you will back up what I say. Living hope, if we're going to know what to do with a dead child, if we're going to know what to do with a hopeless situation, if we're going to have any hope for a hopeless world, if we're going to be able to carry the dead with confidence, then there must be a restoration of confidence and authority in the voice of the church. And the only way we can be confident that God has our back is that we have got to have His back. More now than ever before, there must be power in the voice of the church. In 1831, French sociologist and political theorist Alec de Tocqueville came to America. and His quest was to find what made America great. And here's what de Tocqueville, some 200 years ago, said he found when he came searching the greatness of America. He said, I sought for the greatness and the genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. He said, I looked for the greatness of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I looked for what made America great in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. I looked for it in her Democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution, and he said it was not there. But here's what de Tocqueville said 200 years ago. Uh, 200 years ago, de Tocqueville said, it was when I went into the churches of America and I heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that then I understood the power of America. And if we think that we're going to remain powerful uh, without standing on the righteousness of the Word of God, uh, we have another thing coming. If we will stand upon the righteousness of the Word of God, then we can take that dead baby and say, I've got confidence. I've got confidence that if I say it won't rain, it's not going to rain. And if I say to a dead life, get up and live again, God is going to back me up. It's not time to cave to social it's not time to cave into social pressure. It's not time to cave into worldly immorality. It's time to stand upon the righteousness of the Word of God. We declare the righteousness of God not to antagonize the atheist. My purpose to declare the righteousness of God is not to irritate the immoral. But we speak righteousness because there is blessing in righteousness. Psalms 34 and 15 tells me that God watches over the righteous. Psalms 37, 23 tells me that God orders the steps of a righteous man. Psalms chapter 55, verse 22 and other passages tell me that God upholds the righteous. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33 tells me that God blesses 
the home of the righteous. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 29 tells me that God does not hear the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. That is why we must stand on the side of righteousness. Because when I stand upon the authority of the word of God, when I stand upon the righteousness of the word of God, I can have confidence that what I speak, God will support. When we declare the righteousness of God, we can speak with boldness. You say, Pastor, go ahead, speak with boldness. No, you can speak with boldness. When you stand upon the side of righteousness, you can pray with confidence. You can pray with authority. And in confidence. And in confidence. Somebody say, in confidence. And in confidence, because Elijah knew, uh, because I'm standing on the side of God, God will stand for me. Uh, and so in confidence, Elijah said, uh, it's not going to rain again until I say it will. And God had his back. Elijah stood upon the solid foundation of God's righteousness. And so God stood for Elijah. Living hope, we have stood we do stand and we will stand upon the righteousness of the Word of God. There have been those that have come and those that have gone, and they have ridiculed our stand upon the Word of God. There have been those that have said to me, Pastor, why don't we just let down a little bit? But I'm not here to gain your Google approval. I'm not here to gain your Facebook thumbs up. I'm here today to stand upon the righteousness of God because I want God to have my back. So now it's time, living hope, for you to open your mouth and it's time for you to declare with boldness. It's time for you to stop agreeing with Ahab. It's time for you to stop declaring with your adversary. Stop agreeing with negative news and start agreeing with what thus saith the Lord. Come on, somebody open your mouth right now and speak faith. Somebody open your mouth and speak faith over your finances right now. Come on, you've been standing for righteousness. You can declare it with authority. Uh, somebody right now open your mouth and speak faith over your family. Uh, speak faith over this nation. I take authority over the spirit of fear. I take authority over the spirit of fear. I take authority over every wicked person that is trying to destroy this sovereign nation. I take authority over every wicked spirit that is at work to destroy the families of this church. I take, author I take authority over discouragement. Some of you just let depression run, run, wreak havoc in your home. Just let it, let Ahab do what he wants to do in your home. It's time you open your mouth like Elijah and say, Ahab, I don't agree with you. God's going to shut off the water source until you change your ways. Until you repent, there will not be rain in Israel. The second point, turn, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 17. You might want to rev your engine a little bit. I'm not close to being done. I don't want your battery to die. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 5. The Bible says, Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread. Got nothing on DoorDash. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Everybody say, he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while. It happened after Elijah had been there for a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the second thing that God had to reveal to Elijah, and the second thing God must reveal to us if we're going to be able to carry the dead, if we're going to be able to give hope to the hopeless, is we must have God reveal to us the power of the source. The power. First, we must re be revealed the power of our voice. The second revelation we must have is the power of the source. 
immediately after Elijah speaks his 24 very authoritative words that it won't rain again until I say so. Immediately after that, God says, go hide. Go hide by the brook Cherith. There you will drink from the brook, and I will send ravens to feed you. So the Bible says Elijah went according to the word of the Lord. He went to the brook because of the authority that he had preached with on Sunday. God said, go hide on Monday. I know what it feels like on Monday to want to hide because of what I preached on Sunday. I know what it feels like to wake up on Monday and say, God, why did you put those words in my mouth yesterday? I know I made some folks mad. I know I irritated some people. I know what it's like to want to hide on Monday because of what I preached on Sunday. I know what it's like to know you made the devil mad. I know what it's like to wake up on Monday and realize yesterday I stirred up a hornet's nest. There have been times before I even left the the parking lot on Sunday, I knew that what God had called me to preach had made some folks mad. God, why can't you just tell me to tell the people what they're hearing from CNN and Fox. They would love me more if I just agreed with their favorite news guy. God, why can't you just tell me? Why can't you just let me tell the people that Dr. Fauci is right and we need to live paranoid the rest of our lives? Got quiet in the parking lot on Sunday. Why, God, why do you have to be putting words in my spirit and in my mouth that rile up the devil? God sends him to the brook to hide. He sends him to the brook, and there the brook provides for him safety. It it provides for him refreshing. And it was there at the brook that he is sustained. I don't know how long he was there. The Bible just says he was there for a while. The Bible just says after a while because he was there for a while. Every day waking up, the sound of the, the, the water running through the brook is hiding his movements so other cannot hear him. He is safe there. Every day he draws fresh, cool water that renews and strengthens him. Every day the ravens come with their door dash order, bringing Elijah food in the morning and food in the evening. And here is the problem. After a while, we can begin to think the brook is our source. After a while, we can begin thinking that the brook is our source. We can begin to think that a strong economy and free democracy is what makes us a church, is what makes us a powerful people, is what makes me a child of God is because I live in America. And after all, we are a free country. After all, we can come together and worship as we want, and we can begin to think that the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence and our democracy are what make us great. That is Can I tell you today, that is not our source. After a while, we can begin thinking that a steady paycheck and a growing 401K is our source. But in verse number 7, God said, all right, Elijah, you've become dependent upon the brook. You started thinking that the brook is your source, so I'm going to have to dry up the brook because I need you to know when you walk into that home and that mom's got a a dead baby in her arms, you're not going to be near the brook. So you need to have a revelation that the brook is not your source, but I am your source. Jehovah is your source. God said, I've got to dry up the brook because living hope after a while, you'll begin thinking that the brook is your source. But God's got to remind his church the brook has never been our source. It's always been in him that we live and we move and we have our being. I feel like right now there are some brooks drying up. Things that we used to depend on that brought us security, they're drying up. Come on, somebody's 401K is drying up. And nobody's saying, preach it right now. Nobody's saying, I know, no, we don't want that. 
Sources of entertainment are drying up. NBA's not there. Major League Baseball's not there. NFL may not be there. Those things that we turn to as a, as a, 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 a chance to get away from the realities of life, they're all drying up. Our liberties and our freedoms that we once took for granted, they're drying up. God even dried up the church for two months because if we're not careful, we can start thinking that the building is our source. God said, I'm going to have to take about two months and I'm going to dry up your neighbor's worship because if we're not careful, we start depending on our neighbor's worship to bring us through. God said, I'm going to take about two months, and I'm going to dry up the brook of your neighbor's prayer. I'm going to dry up the prayer of your elders. I'm not going to let you hear the prayer of your pastor, because if we're not careful, we begin to think that the prayers of my pastor are my source, and God has got to remind his church, the pray the church is not your source, the preacher's not your source, amen, the worshiper next to you is not your source, but God is my source. Come on, somebody raise your hands right now. God is drying up the brook. Come on, 401K was never your provider. Jehovah Jireh was your provider. Some of you are worried about your jobs. Are they going to last? The brook is drying up. 35 million unemployed. The brook is drying up. But Jehovah Jireh still reigns. God is still on the throne. Don't get me wrong, we need the church. We need to be together. We need to see one another worship. We need to hear one another pray. We need the preacher to preach to us. We need the laying on of hands. Amen. But God has got to remind us that the church is not your source. The preacher is not your source. Your neighbor is not your source. But I am your source. And if we're going to know what to do with a dead, hopeless circumstance, we have got to learn. Amen. Because there may be times you're out in the community and you can't get to the church. Do you know you still got the power living in you? You can lay hands on the sick wherever you are and they shall recover. The church is not your source. God is your source. Come on, somebody give the Lord praise right now. I like what Paul said. He said, stir up the gift that is in you. The source is in you. I know Brother Brett may not be doing worship for me on Sunday, but I can worship all by myself. I can worship my way through this storm. The final point. Thank you. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 10. 1 Kings 17.10 says, Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was gathering sticks. The prophet said to her, bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Now this is the guy who's responsible for the water shortage, and he's asking a widow for a drink of water. And as she was going to get it, he decides that's not unsensitive enough. He decides I need to double down on my desensitization and not understanding what she's going through. The Bible says he calls to her and says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have bread, just a handful of flour in a bin, a little bit of oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Everybody getting the situation? She just got enough, Michelle, for one last meal. She said, me and my boy are going to go eat one last meal and then we're going to die together. All we have enough food for, enough water for, is to make one last meal. And Elijah looks at this mama who's about to bury her baby boy who's about to eat their last meal and then die. And he says, do not fear. Everybody say, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Eat your meal and die. But first, make me a cake. 
want you to put that into modern society. Just want you to think about that for a moment. God had to reveal to Elijah the third thing is the power of his choice. If I could say it this way, he revealed to Elijah that real faith will always require a risk. If there is no risk involved, then it is not faith. You can't walk on water without stepping out of the boat. Well, I'll just wait until the pond freezes over, and then I'll walk on water. But the moment that the pond freezes over, it's no longer faith. Because in order for it to be faith, it requires that there is risk. And intellect and human reasoning says, let's mitigate all the risk. Let's evaluate the risk. Pastor, when you can prove to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's not one one thousandth of a chance that I'll get coronavirus if I walk in that building, then I'll come back to church. You have no faith. Faith requires risk. I know that sounds very heartless. Pastor, how can you say that? Pastor, how can you tell us that? How can you say that? Well, let me double down with Elijah. Because Elijah looks at this. Can you imagine reading this story from 1 Kings 17? Reading in the news that a preacher went to the house of a mother who had just enough food to give her and her child one last meal. And the preacher says, before you make yourself a last cake and die, make me one first. Can you imagine reading that on Facebook? Can you imagine reading the comments below that? Can you imagine what, you know, all the emojis would be those angry faces and thumbs down? How in the world could that preacher have that kind of audacity? How could you be that desensitized? How could you be that unsensitive? How could you be that uncaring? How could you do that to a mom and her baby who are about to die? What would you have done, preacher, if the meal hadn't multiplied? What would you do if the oil hadn't continued to flow? How could you be so heartless? But the man of God understood a Bible principle, and that is without risk, there will never be a miracle. Without faith, there will never be a miracle. Until you're willing to make me a cake first, you'll never have enough for you and your baby. If we think that we're going to mitigate all the risk and there won't be one one millionth of a chance that you can walk into that building without getting a virus, there will be no miracles in that building until we take a risk. I'm just going to let it sink in for a moment. I know right now Facebook may be lighting up. What a cold, heartless preacher. Call me what you want. But I know this, child of God, if you're going to be blessed, you're going to have to step out in faith. You're going to have to trust God that he is your protector. You're going to have to trust God that he is your shade. You're going to have to trust God that his name is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it, and they are safe. You're going to have to kick fear out of the way and say, I'm still glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm telling you, the preacher had a revelation. Society may not understand it. Society may, may give me angry face emojis and thumbs down. But I'm telling you, if you want a miracle, you're going to have to be willing to walk on water. If you want a miracle, you're going to have to be willing to step out in faith. Yeah, we're going to do our part. We're going to sanitize. We're going to disinfect. We're going to make sure we stay ample distance apart. We're going to do what we can do. But I can't tell you every risk is going to be gone. But what I can tell you is I was never your provider anyhow. What I can tell you is the brook was never your source anyhow. What I can tell you is the name of Jason was never your strong tower anyhow. But the name of the Lord is. And Elijah said, fear not.
fear not. Do as thou hast said. Fear not. Tell your neighbor, fear not. Come on, I know I'm back on the same sermon another week. Same sermon another Sunday, but I've got to continue to preach it because the battle we're fighting right now is a battle for your faith. It's a war against the adversary of fear. And I've come to tell you what the preacher told the the widow woman. Fear not. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Two things the prophet knew, and I'm, I'm coming to a conclusion. The prophet knows that fear and miracles cannot, will not, never have, never will coexist. Fear and miracles will never coexist. Pastor, I'm just going to wait a little while longer. Again, if, if you have health risks, if you're elderly, if you're up there in age, I would encourage you to wait a little while longer. But some of you, the enemy is using this as a stumbling block, as a roadblock in the progression of your faith. That you're gonna, you're, you're, if you're not careful, you're going to sit home and be, get disconnected from the church uh, because you're going to wait until all the risk is gone. Uh, let me tell you, child of God, faith uh, is more than a word we put on the wall of our Sunday school rooms. Uh, we walk by faith. Uh, we live by faith. Uh, we serve by faith. But secondly, this, the prophet heard from the Lord. He wasn't just asking her to make him a cake because he was hungry. He wasn't just trying to pick out the woke crowd, you know, the woke crowd, the, the socially woke crowd. That if you make a statement that's not socially acceptable, they, they blast you. They share it with all their friends on Facebook and Twitter. Elijah wasn't trying to pick a a fight with the woke crowd. Elijah wasn't just trying to be the sensitive. Elijah said, I heard from the Lord. Uh, Amen. Listen, Listen to me real quick. Speaking faith is not saying the opposite of what CNN says. Okay, I I don't watch CNN and say, well, if they said this, then I'm going to say the opposite. I have no idea what CNN said this week. I don't know what Fox said. I don't know what any news said. I haven't watched any of it. But if we're not careful, we can begin to think that faith is simply saying the opposite of what the media says. But speaking faith is not speaking the opposite of media. Speaking faith is speaking what God has spoken to us. Because there are sometimes the newsman is right. If the newsman tells you that it's, it could be harmful to your health to jump out of an airplane without a parachute, that newsman is right. All right? Faith is not speaking the opposite of men. Faith is speaking the word of God. The power is in your choice. You can either go with the crowd and you can speak fear or you can risk it all and speak faith. The world may not understand it. Society may not agree with it. But if I'm going to get my miracle, I'm going to step out in faith. And in verse 17... It would have been easy for the man of God to just walk up to the widow woman when she carried her lifeless son and offer to her his condolences, his apologies, to just look at the hopeless situation and agree with what society has already spoken. It is a hopeless situation. Because when you take a dead body from a grieving mama's arms and you begin to give her some sense of hope, you better know what you're doing. When you look into a grieving mama's eyes and you say, give me that boy. I've got a solution for what you're going through. You had better know what you're doing. You tell a grieving mama that everything's going to be all right. I'll be right back. You better have the power. You better have a solution. But Elijah had been learning a lesson. He learned, I've got power in my voice. I have the authority to turn off the water for three years. Then I believe I can speak life into a dead body. Elijah had learned the power of his source, that the power of God to sustain me was not the brook. It was the power of God, and God is with me now, just like he was with me then. Elijah had learned the power of his choice. He had learned that if 
he could risk it all and ask a mama for her baby's last meal. If he could risk that, then he could take the risk now and say, give me your dead situation. Uh, give me your hopeless circumstance. Uh, give it to me. I know what to do with this hopeless situation because God has spoken to me. The Bible says that Elijah takes that dead son, that lifeless body. The King James Version says he carries him up into a loft where he abode. But I like the way the New King James Version says it. The Bible says, so he took that dead, lifeless baby, uh, the body of that child, uh, that hopeless situation, uh, and the Bible says he carried him to the upper room uh, where he had been staying. Uh, I want to tell this world I know what to do with the hopeless situation uh, because this ain't the last time I heard uh, about a miracle in an upper room. Uh, but in the book of Acts, uh, there were a group of believers uh, that were all together in one room, in the upper room. Uh, they were in one place uh, they were in my one mind uh, and in one accord uh, and suddenly there came a sound uh, from heaven uh, as of a rushing mighty wind uh, and it filled all the house uh, where they were sitting in I wish somebody get out of your car right now and give God praise uh, listen to me world uh, I know what to do with your hopeless situation Living hope, we know what to do. We're going to take those situations to an upper room. Living hope, God's been preparing us for this moment. But Elijah, Elijah, the Bible says he went to an upper room where he had been staying. This was not Elijah's first trip to the upper room. He was there every day praying. He had turned that upper room into an incubator for the miraculous. I'm asking this church right now to open your arms. I'm asking this church right now, they're going to bring their dead. They're going to bring their busted 401ks. They're going to bring their unemployment. They're going to bring their shattered dreams. And they're going to walk into our church. And if we're not careful, we're going to think the answer is our programs and our theology. We're going to think the answer is the way that we used to do church. Can I tell you the answer for them? I am not the source. You are not the source. But we know the source. The source is the power that is in the upper room. So I say to the hurting of this city, Bring to me your dead child. Bring to me your hopeless situation. Bring to me your helpless situation. And what we are going to do as a church is we're going to carry it to the upper room. We're going to carry it to the upper room. And we're going to let the Spirit of God be poured out. We raise our hands all across this parking lot right if you're here today and you came with a hopeless situation, if you're a guest and you pulled into this parking lot hoping that a preacher had a word for you, I do have a word for you. I've learned the confidence and the power of my voice. I've learned that if I stand on righteousness, God will back me up. And so I speak right now to your mountain. Be thou removed and cast into yonder sea. I say to that spirit of fear, you are rebuked in the name of Jesus. Come on, living hope. You've got to get a revelation of the power of your voice. We've got to know. I don't have to be inside of that building for miracles to happen. That is not my source. He is my source. Listen, if you're a guest here today, if you're a guest online, living hope, if you're a member of this church, you're dealing with a helpless situation, a hopeless situation. I'm asking you right now on this, throughout this parking lot to raise your hands. I hope I want us to raise our voices right now. We have got to have confidence. We don't just stand for righteousness so we can be different. 
We don't just stand for righteousness so we can be a social segment of society different from everything around. We do it for times like these that I can say, God, I stood for you, so now I need you to stand for me. And I speak right now to the spirit of fear. Take your grips off of the people of God. I say right now to every lie of the devil, take your hands off of our friends that have gathered with us on this Sunday. I want to invite you to come with me to the upper room. I want to ask this church right now, let your spirit help me. And let's embrace those that are hurting. Let's embrace those that are helpless. And let's bring them with us to the upper room. Oh, we've been staying there for 35 years as a church. We've been putting our faith in the upper room as long as we've been around. So we invite you right now, Living Hope, lift your voices. I want the sound of speaking in other tongues to flood this parking lot. I want somebody in this, in this parking lot to know that we do have the answer. Come on, begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, from, the, from all the way there to over there. Everybody, if you've got the Holy Ghost, I want you to raise your hand and speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives it. That's what happened in the upper room. You've got to have confidence in the power of your voice. It's okay to take a risk. It's okay to step out in faith. Give me your baby boy. I'll be right back. Give me that lifeless situation. I'll be right back. I know exactly what to do. I'm going to carry that baby into the upper room. And there God is going to work a miracle. Listen, if you're from the same household, I want you to link arms together. I'm not here to get likes and shares on Facebook. I'm here to get the support of heaven. I'm here to preach righteousness and stand upon the truth of the Word of God. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you.